This time on No Not The Mind Probe, episode number eight, Tech Gone Wild. John, this episode has some very, some great lines. I always like lines where you switch the words around to make a point, very symmetrical. Like he says, the very powerful and the very stupid have one thing in common. They don't alter their views to fit the facts. They alter the facts to fit their views. I can do one too. Look, it's easy. John, you can always alter the facts to fit your views, but you should always alter the fits to view the facts. Never fact the alters when fitting fact views. Fits alter the fits and starts, facts and hearts. And I think I made my point. The very powerful, very powerfully stupid. My very powerfully stupid point. I think I've gotten that across. Are you having a stroke? Is that- <laughs> it's, possible. <laughs> it's possible. Can my Apple Watch tell me if I'm having a stroke? <laughs> Welcome to, no, not the Mind Probe, a podcast where we watch and rank every single Doctor Who story ever. It was like I was eliminating the Mind Probe. I was like, no, not the, not the Mind Probe. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, was <laughs> um, my name is John Grant, and I am a lifelong Doctor Who fan. I've been watching it for 35 years. My name is Porter Mason, and John's been asking me to watch Doctor Who for 25 years, and I finally said Yes. Each episode, we'll look at two stories. We're going through the new series in order, and our Doctor Who curator, John, will find a pairing of that new episode with a classic story. John, what do we have this week? Uh, this week, we have a two-part uh, for the new series. Uh, this is The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, uh, one of the highlights of the Eccleston era. And we've paired that uh, with another technology-gone-wrong uh, show, a story. This is The Face of Evil from the Fourth Doctor's era. All right, let's recap things that we watched. The first thing we're going to do is recap something from The New Who. We're going to recap the dual episode combo the empty child and the doctor dances these are season one episode eight and nine of the new series they aired on the 21st and 28th of may in 2005 and john i believe you brought a little clip this is from the second episode the doctor dances what you doing trying to set up a resonation pattern in the concrete loosen the bath you don't think he's coming back do you wouldn't bet my life why don't you trust him? Why do you? Save my life. Bloatwise, I sat there with flossing. I trust him because he's like you. Except with dating and dancing. What? You just assume, Mum. What? You just assume I don't dance. What? Are you telling me you do dance? 900 years old, me. I've been around a bit. I think you can assume at some point I've danced. You? Problem? Doesn't the universe implode or something if you dance? Well, I've got the moves, but I wouldn't want to boast. I really like how the doctor's so indignant about dancing. Hey, I dance. <laughs> I dance. Don't you worry about that. I think that's really cute. It's loaded with subtext. <clears throat> um, so much of what else he's saying is, you know, I can't be bothered with these things and I can't. I'm, I'm above it all. And then when he's challenged on, hey, hey, I can dance with anybody. It's kind of what all geeks do, right? It's like, hey, hey, yeah, I, I can I can dance. I may be Doctor Who, but I can also dance. Right. Go. And then usually it would be like, OK, great. Come dance with us. Well, I don't feel like it <laughs> no, now. I can do it now. I'm busy. Okay, here's what went went down in this story. Uh, and this is it, it's a lot because it's two episodes, um, for, which for the new who is 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 quite a bit. It's, it's sort of like a movie, right? It's an hour and a half mm-hmm. at that point. The doctor and Rose track a distress signal and time jump right into the middle of the London Blitz during World War Two. Bombs are falling down. The doctor scurries off to track some intergalactic object and rose attempts to help a young boy in a gas mask who seems to have lost his parents amidst the confusion of the raid rose ends up grabbing a rope attached to uh, a hot air balloon of some kind and holds on for dear life as she floats above london while bombs rain down the doctor strangely finds the phone on the tardis ringing i honestly never really noticed there was a phone there before but i guess if you know police boxes uh, you would know that I'd... anyway he, he it, it's a it's not a Uh, operational phone so he's surprised by this he picks it up and it's the same boy that we saw from before saying are you my mommy he follows a group of urchin children to figure out what's going on uh, because they mentioned they 
one of the the leader girl of the urchins kind of indicates she knows what's going on with the phone. They're human but, children. They're not sea urchins. <laughs> no, nah, they're urchins. <laughs> now that would have been a great. So it's London during the Blitz, but it's all sea urchins. <laughs> There's no people. Um, but still the same story. Hitler's still trying to defeat them. Yeah. And, and Hitler, the Nazis are still people. <laughs> right. But the English are all, are all sea urchins. And we're still, I remember, if folks will remember who are regular listeners, probers will know that we're ambivalent about Hitler on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> we're still we're, sort of working through just, it. <laughs> look, we want more data. That's all. We just want more data. Uh, Rose is tractor beamed it down by a handsome rogue, Captain Jack Harkness, who appears to be a, also a time traveler, a bit of a grifter. And also pretty openly bisexual, which we'll talk about more. But that was that he's a really interesting character. The doctor finds the urchin kids go into houses during the raids and they steal food. The creepy gas mask kid comes back and the little girl leader of the urchin kids, Nancy. <laughs> sorry, now I'm envisioning some sort of like Muppet baby show called the urchin kids. <laughs> Just a bunch of sea urchin babies. There's there's a, so much licensing uh, possibilities here with the, the these urchin characters. Because, you know, kids love spiky toys that they yeah, can just right. cuddle with. Without faces. Yeah. Uh, Nancy tells the doctor it's not a child. Uh, it's it's something else. The, she's sort of cagey about it. The children run away scared. She sends them off. And the gas mask boy seems to have powers. He turns off machines in the house. He can make phones ring. Uh, Nancy tells uh, tells the doctor that this boy was once her little brother and the object that he's looking for that the doctor's looking for crashed near the hospital. The doctor goes to the hot goes to that area and finds a doctor there caring for dozens of patients who look and act similarly to this boy. They have the gas mask fused to their face and they're all crying for their their mummy asking where their mummy is. The doctor says it spreads like a virus when almost like a zombie virus when they're touched then it takes over their bodies slowly and then the doctor sorry this is confusing the human doctor is telling the time lord doctor this and the human doctor then turns into one of these gas mask folks rose and jack arrive and the zombie gas mask people move toward them cliffhanger pretty good cliffhanger mm -hmm. then uh, the doctor gets out of this uh by speaking to all the the gas mask zombies as the mummy that's being mentioned and he orders them to their room says they're being very naughty and it works the doctor learns that the ship or whatever it was he was looking for that crashed was a medical ship containing nanobots which uh encountered nancy's brother i forget if i said that but she reveals this used to be her brother uh, that's what she says. And then the nanobots encountered the boy when they first landed. He was hurt and they were sort of in this flux state where they're attempting to recreate everything else they touch in his image. They took they went over into his body and sort of that's all they know now. So now everything they're doing, they're trying to recreate in this image. There's more detail to that, but essentially that he pieces. Um, but then the doctor suddenly pieces together that Nancy is not the boy's sister, but his mother. She is a. 1940s hip teen mom way before time <laughs> and she's never admitted that to him she's never told the boy doesn't know this um nancy tells gas mask boy that she's his mummy and the nanobots leave and then the doctor has the bots the nanoparticles heal i forget if they heal the boy but they heal all the other people no they do heal the boy and, they, and then they heal all the other people Everybody captain lives. jack Everybody lives, right? Captain Jack joins the Doctor and Rose in the TARDIS, and the Doctor finally gets a happy ending. It's a really, really emotional moment for for him, and you just get this feeling of he's so happy that finally, for once, he's not just moving on in the middle of a crap show. He's actually saying, no, we actually fixed it. It's better. And then and then he moves on. Um, anyway, really, really cool episode. Uh, John, what did I miss? Uh, no, I think you did a good job, especially given that you're summarizing a Stephen Moffat episode, and he's notorious for his complex uh, plots. Um, yeah. So this is this is Stephen Moffat's first uh, new series, Doctor Who. He'd never written for the classic series, but he had written uh, The Curse of the Fatal Death, which was a, a parody episode um, that was uh, a parody and not a parody. It's uh, the one – you've seen it, actually, the one with Rowan Atkinson that I think we watched years and years ago. Possibly when we lived in New York together. I think I had well, it. On. I don't remember that, but okay. Yeah, uh, Harris and I used to do the uh, – Harris friend – prober, friend of the show. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> probably not probing, but um, – 
<laughs> uh, and then it would be a deadly vengeance, the deadly vengeance of deadly revenge. That was from that. It had oh, the okay. Jonathan Price as the man. Anyway, um, so he'd written funny stuff. Stephen Moffat, obviously, uh, or not maybe not obviously, but for people who don't know, um, he writer of Coupling, uh, Sherlock. He eventually takes over Doctor Who after uh, Jekyll uh, four seasons. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah. So this is a this is his. Uh, first story um, uh, in the new series uh, and you know, clearly works pretty hard. It's a very tight, tightly plotted story. <laughs> it's very clever. Um, uh, great dialogue, you know, sort of a lot of his tropes of, of you know, really smart, clever dialogue. Um, and uh, I think, I think also it's, it's interesting as, as I was watching, I was thinking about it. Um, so the first season, the writers besides Russell T Davies are Rob Shearman, uh, Mark Gatiss, Paul Cornell, and Stephen Moffat, and and um, they're all fan writers. And I've seen interviews with several of them afterwards. And one of the things that they were thinking was, "This is could just bomb. This is probably going to bomb. <laughs> I mean, right. like, we're bringing back an old '70s TV show, and it's probably just going to fail." So, but they're like, "But this is our dream." Like they were all fans, long term fans. Like this is our dream. So they're like, so basically they they said like those first stories we just put everything into. We're like, we <laughs> this is our one shot to oh, make right. Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they poured everything into it and used a ton of ideas and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you could tell this is probably some idea that Moffat had had for a long time or, or certainly something that developed. Um, there, uh, yes, you did. Uh, it's a, it's a great, it's a creepy setup. It's a fantastic cliffhanger. I love, and I love the, both the cliffhanger is exciting and then also the resolution to it. Uh, you know, go to your room uh, and then those would have been terrible last words. <laughs> it's, a, it's just both funny. The, the cliffhanger advances the plot. It comes out of nowhere. Like it, it's one of those ones where uh, the, the resolution is when you wouldn't have expected. Um, but it also moves the plot forward because now there's another clue like, well, wait a minute. You just told it to go to his room. Um, and that, you know, is sort of the springboard for the second part. Um it does introduce Captain Jack, John Barrowman, uh, who uh, uh, was not someone I had heard of before this. Um, I think he's he was still is big in stage uh, theater hmm, okay. uh, stuff, but um, in London or in yeah, you know. he's he's, I, he's American, but for some reason he he is bigger <laughs> in the huh. UK, I guess. Um, he uh, yes, and um, yes, he is sort of a pansexual. Uh, <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, that's a good way, Very much a way so. to put it. Um, uh, John Barrowman, the actor, is, is gay, um, and uh, Russell T Davies is a great show is gay, and I think they wanted to show sort of a, a larger spectrum of sexuality uh, in the show. So definitely, I don't the Doctor Who had never had openly gay characters before, um, so this is definitely new. And it wasn't a plot point; it was just more. No, just watched, uh, what yeah. it really <laughs> what it what it happened to be is just it it just sort of added a level to what they were trying to get across about his character which is yeah he's kind of a cad he'll do whatever to, to get by and sort of saying i think what he talks about i think is is in this episode where he says he seduced a man and woman who are both his executioners right. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so it, yeah it just sort of sets up his character and then it makes for a really fun flirting with rose and the doctor so right. it's just sort of fun yeah. that he's just flirting with everyone it's great <laughs> yeah that's kind of his thing um and and steven moffat seems to love these characters he'll introduce another one later river song who kind of also is a is a wild flirt with everyone but we'll, we'll mm -hmm. get to her um uh uh i love uh by the way i i don't know if you've uh so richard wilson is plays the doctor uh dr constantine uh he is most famous for playing victor Muldrew in one foot in the grave i don't know if you've ever seen that show no. um it is a very funny show victor Muldrew is basically who i well i say i will one day become my husband says i've already become but he's basically just the world's greatest curmudgeon like he just complains <laughs> about everything um <laughs> Uh, and he's just a generally angry person. It's just wonderful. Uh, so yes, Richard Wilson was definitely uh, that, or that actor was very well, or is well known in the UK. Um, and that was a good so couple scenes big, he had. I yeah, thought. and so he's definitely a big part of the guest cast. Um, uh, it's a great special effect. The 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 special effect of the gas mask is really it's intense. Uh, simple, right? <laughs> effect, but, but it, very simple. Yeah, it's um, yeah, and it's so uh, it's so compelling. Um. And I mentioned to John before we did this uh, this particular episode before we recorded it, uh, I had <laughs> so I have attempted over the years to watch Doctor Who uh, and failed miserably. Mm -hmm. But there was one uh, period of time right when we moved into the house I currently live in, so it must have been about uh, nine years ago. I watched this first season, but 
uh, I have very little recall of it. I don't remember it. And apparently I must have it must have been one of those things where I put it on when I was falling asleep or while I was doing work or something. So just things didn't stick with me. And there's certainly episodes, entire episodes that I don't remember at all. This image of the boy with the gas mask is so uh, shocking and really just gets into your core and it's just so creepy. I just remembered it immediately. So it's just it's been a funny experience. And the longest I watched is possibly through this first season. So after this, I really have never even seen anything. I mean, how can anyone believe anything you say now, though? I mean, I know I've completely undercut my credibility. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when when this episode started and I saw that it it was this immediate visceral response of oh no i remember this this is awful <laughs> this, this is so creepy um it's yeah it's, it's very simple but very compelling um i don't really like horror uh i don't really like being scared by stuff but this was so <laughs> this was so clever and everyone uh, i also wanted to mention uh the young woman nancy who is a great actress for whatever reason i looked her up because she she was so good and she looked mm-hmm. familiar to me I think honestly, just because I've seen this episode, apparently, because when I looked into it, she just stopped acting not long after this. And I feel like this is something you would hear more about in the UK than the US, where she got a couple of roles. This is a pretty big part, and, and she which she does very well. Um, and it's a pretty meaty role in this in this episode. And then she just kind of said, sounded like, okay, I don't really, I think I'm going to go do something else. I'm not going to act anymore and moved on. Whereas like in the United States, she would have already, you know, like had a drug problem by right. now, yeah, gone through <laughs> a couple of rounds of rehab. Yeah. <clears throat> and then let me tell you one interesting fact, because I learned a fact and I'm going to share it with you. Go on. Please do. She also, uh, she's, so she did a few other things before stopping when she was probably a teenager, but she played in a movie called, uh, a fairy tale, a true story about some girls who uh, t- uh, there were these famous hoax cuttingly fairy photos. I don't know oh. if you've ever heard of it, but at any rate, it was a movie about that. And uh, her father in that movie was played by Paul McGann, oh, the doctor, mm-hmm. the, the doctor. It's doctor, a yeah, weird connection. No, I thought you were going to be like, it's, it's fairy tales about these girls. And I was like, who eat a gingerbread house or something? <laughs> 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 who eat someone's house? Anyway, um, <laughs> she was great. Um, I, great. I thought um, uh, Captain Jack, by the way, to me, looks so much like Tom Cruise, that actor. Mm. I, I felt like this, this is, and he had this sort of uh, carrying himself that I felt like, yeah, this is a weirdly a Tom Cruise role. <laughs> um, it, this to me felt like old Doctor Who. Okay, mm. the very little I've seen, par- par- probably partly because it was a two part episode, but also because the plot involved more like ins and outs. And I have to be honest, it felt more like a an older plot that I enjoyed. Some of the older plots feel convoluted for no real great reason. Mm-hmm. This felt good. And what I thought what was nice in terms of story is it still ultimately is, you know, everything just gets wrapped up really neatly at the end when this one thing happens. Um, but because there's the turn and reveal of her being the mother, that that doesn't seem as neat. That, oh, by the way, now everything's just fixed. Right. And then, of course, the doctor's emotional emotional reaction to everything being fixed also helps. So I feel like Stephen Moffat is just doing some other things here that make even things that aren't super interesting or or uh, groundbreaking about the plot itself that make it all feel good. And um, it just definitely felt... It's, and that's, I think, why it's probably a two-part episode, too. And in, in the same way that the two-part episode, there was elements I liked of the uh, end of the world and stuff. Not the end of the world. The, um, anyway. Aliens the, of London, yeah. Aliens of London. Um, that they probably had the script and they're like, oh, this is the one we're going to do p- two parts to put a little more budget into this. There was more set dressing and everything looked really the, you know. Shots over World London, War- yeah. <clears throat> World War II London looked really good. Uh, the only thing that was a little cheesy i feel like is probably more just have to do with that computers have gotten a lot better in the last 15 years which was rose floating in the balloon was so green screeny that it was a little <laughs> honestly and this seems dumb but that was my big problem with the whole episode was that part itself just <laughs> felt a little cheesy and then jack i thought was great by the i really loved him by the end i wasn't quite getting it or buying it right at the beginning with his introduction but then he really grows on you by the end. Um, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, as 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 a, as a person who probably could not, well, I could never do the rope climb in high school. Uh, <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, and and seeing someone hang by a rope for 
it appeared to be at least a good 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, please, I would have been dead in seconds. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, um, no I mean, you know, what's her deal? Um, yeah, I guess she works out, whatever. Uh, <laughs> no, um, uh, it is. Um, I, I think this is probably the best uh, story of the first season. Um, I think uh, I think definitely you can see like this was I'm not sure if it was after this one or because Stephen all of Stephen Moffat's episodes are are brilliant when he's before he starts producing. I mean, also when he's producing, they're very good too. But um, his contributions to the show are always really good. And so yeah, people did start to talk about like, all right, when when Russell D Davies leaves at some point, who will take over? And it was kind of always obvious it was going to be Stephen Moffat because um, yeah, he's just he's the dialogue is brilliant, the the humor is really good. Um, you know, when he's in the doctors at the, the table and he's like, I don't know if this is uh, socialism in action or a West End musical or something like that about the kids yeah. coming in, uh, just like a little, little things like that. Um, and, and, and also Stephen Moffat, he sees Doctor Who as a little bit more fairy tale uh, is how he describes it than, um, uh, than, than like hard sci-fi. Like this is, this does have hard sci-fi elements. The, 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 obviously the, the nanotech going wrong and stuff like that, but so the, everybody lives at the end. Everybody's magically cured. You know, the woman who's like, you know, I, I have my legs grown back. So, you know, he likes, he likes the happy endings. Cause I, and I think that, I mean, I kind of lean towards him on that in the sense that, you know, I think that's, that's sort of what doctor who's supposed to be about. Um, I did. It was interesting. The the whole dancing exchange. That's the Doctor dance, and the universe doesn't end if the Doctor dances. Right. And like, I think I think the intention was there's a lot of different layers supposedly going on in there, right? Like that it's supposed to be him being happy and enjoying himself, or it's also supposed to be him having relationships or sex or like you know whatever it's supposed to be. Right, right, right. That was interesting. I mean, I think they're trying to go for layers. I think at the time it was mostly. I think it was a little bit of. And I guess, well, these would have all been written before they'd been broadcast. Well, of course, they were written before they broadcast, before any of them were broadcast. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if this was sort of trying to convince the fans like, hey, it's OK if he has a romance. Right. You know what? This relationship with Rose or whatever's oh, okay. happening. Like, it's not, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world if this happens. I, I think that may have been part of what was going on there. Um, but I also think, you know, this is. This is a big turning point for his character. He finds something successful finally happens. Uh, and then also you get, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, you, you get, he's he's a little more the agent of what's happening, right? Like he's a little bit more, um, he's a little bit more. Sorry, for preppers at home, my daughter uh, just came in the room and distracted John. So that's why he's. He's completely thrown. I'm I mean, gone. Like, yeah, I've never seen know, a, a tiny. It's a, that was like a tiny human. Yeah. Like okay. Those are called children. Oh, right. Is, We're all children. Weird. In fact, the episode you just watched had children in it. What I, did you I, think I, those were? <laughs> well, they thought they were aliens. Uh, oh, I, I, did, okay, I didn't okay. like. I didn't like it. I didn't like any of that. <laughs> 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 um, uh, what were we talking about? I don't know. Dancing. That's dancing is what leads to children. Is my understanding. <laughs> yes, basically. Well, <laughs> Footloose <laughs> would have you believe that. Yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I have a question, and then we should probably move on to yeah. the classic episode. But uh, just really quick, I, I didn't understand. Captain Jack said he was a time Agent. cop. What is he? He's not a time lord, <laughs> right? What is he? Yeah, um, not clear. So that, that develops a little bit more. They'll talk about. Uh, yeah, he calls himself a time agent. Um, time we've agent. heard time agent referenced in early Doctor Who back in the day. It was never really explored. Um, so there is some hint of I don't, that there is a time agency and people do, but it's not it's not clear from here. Um, but yeah, that wasn't that was not something that any of us really knew much about. Like. It's not like there was an established time agency somewhere or something like that. <laughs> um, but that's another, I think that's another great thing Moffat kind of does is he'll just throw ideas out there like that and then not develop them. And that's also what like Robert Holmes and, and some of the older writers, the really good Doctor Who writers do in this or that world building is just, yeah, they'll just throw a term out or, or make a, you know, and, and just kind of as an aside and it doesn't have to be developed, but then some of us also could just come back and really run with it. Right. Um, right. And uh, um you know, again, we'll see in some of the later episodes when some of the things that Stephen Moffat introduces and then suddenly they come back three seasons later as like a huge plot development. And you're like, I, don't, I bet he didn't realize that or didn't. But then it was just like, oh, I could use this. So, yeah, um, uh, it's, it's just sort of his part of his world building those, those little throwaways. All right. Let's move on to recapping our classic episode, The Face of Evil. This is season 14, serial four of the original series. It's four episodes that aired between the 1st and 22nd of January in 1977, the year I was born. So this, this um, 
a lot. My parents probably watched this and then conceived me. The timing would, would kind of work out actually there. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, it's, it's possible. There are a lot of there are a lot of lightly clad people in this. So <laughs> actually, that's true. That is true. <laughs> <It> really did. <laughs> is that the term we use? Lightly clad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the common vernacular. <laughs> okay, you're you're very hip, uh, definitely. Um, John brought along a clip, so I'm going to play his clip right here. Hello, hello. Did I startle you? be afraid i won't hurt the evil one well nobody's perfect but that's overstating it a little no i'm the doctor what's your name leela leela nice name leela i never met anyone called leela would you like a jelly baby it's true then they say the evil one eats babies you mustn't believe all they say no these are sweets they're rather good go on have one go on Lila, I think you've got four friends with very bad colds, or we're in danger. Which is it? <laughs> uh, that's uh, Tom Baker. I love just completely rolling with every punch when he lands somewhere <laughs> and is being told, "Oh, you are represent the evil spirit that haunts us all." He's like, "All right, fair enough. Let's see. Let's see how this plays out." Uh, the and, evil one. Well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> this it's funny. Um, also pairing this with a Stephen Moffat episode, as you say, because this episode has a lot of one-liners, well delivered. Gen, you know, by mainly Tom Baker. Not <laughs> the jungle people don't really give many great one-liners. <laughs> All right, here's here's what went down. Uh, the fourth Doctor arrives in the jungle without a companion, but it takes him about thirty seconds to find a hot, scantily clad woman. It's Leela. She's been exiled from her tribe, and she seems to think that the Doctor is an evil spirit, as we just discussed, the evil one. The Doctor and uh, the Doctor's captured by Leela's tribe. This is where I start squinting as I say the rest of this entire plot. <laughs> he learns they worship a god that's being held captive by the evil one that a rival tribe called the Tesh worships. I don't actually know the name of the other non-rival tribe. They, the Tesh all believe the doctor to be the evil one. The doctor determines the tribe has been influenced or descended from a spaceship from another planet years ago, as they have bits of modern technology that they use as relics, or they've just sort of built their culture around. And then there is also some sort of technology that's protecting them from some beasts that live in the jungle near them. Leela is a badass, frees the doctor. They get nearer to the evil one's temple and they see the face of the doctor carved in stone. He's confused because has he somehow been here before, but he doesn't remember. He interacts with the god who recognizes they get they get through the temple. He interacts with the god, which how do you say the name? Zoanan. Zoanan. Yeah. Um, Zoanan recognizes the doctor as itself, but also wants to kill the doctor. Uh, Zoanan determines. I'm sorry. The doctor determines Zoanan is in, is actually an artificial intelligence, a computer that, of course, as we know has become too smart and therefore evil. And that is just the way of the world. Yes. Um, It's controlling the tribes. I think there's fighting. And then the computer takes over Leela. Leela shoots lots, lots of lasers, lots of lasers shooting by Leela. I mainly will just focus on Leela now for the rest of the episode because I'm tired and I lost the thread about the Dr. God computer business. Uh, Ultimately, after he passes out for two days for some reason, which I didn't quite get that, the doctor is able to sort of tame the evil AI and solve things. And the tribes are grateful, though some of the religious folk are pretty shaken by the reality that their entire lives have been a lie. And Leela, being hot and lacking clothes, joins the doctor as his new companion. So, John, what didn't I miss? I, <laughs> I, I really liked this episode, but it tried to write down what happened. I was really at a loss. I was, wow, I, a lot happened. It's it's a complicated episode. It's a very hard sci-fi episode, I would say. Um, uh, it, uh, Can you explain that term? I, I guess I generally know that, but what's hard versus soft sci-fi? Doctor Who does a bit of both, right? Yeah, I mean, I think hard sci-fi is like, uh, even, I'm not going to define it very well. My, it's sort of the mise-en-scene of it is that it's... Um, uh, <laughs> You know, it's 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 based around sort of high concept stuff, right? And it's okay. sort of, it's you know, um, 
So uh, Asimov would be more high. Yeah, uh, hard I think. Yeah, fi. exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and Star Wars would be soft. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Star Wars okay. is just, it's just a Western in space. Right. Or whatever. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Space um, is more just like a, the trappings. It's just sort of a set. Like it's not much more right. than that. Yeah. Whereas this is just a, a much bigger concept thing. And this this is so I, I, I have to wonder. I mean, you know, I, I it was the Tom Baker years that I saw when I was younger. Uh, over and over again, and I do have to wonder, yeah, how long it must have taken me to understand what the heck was going on with this one, because it is complicated. Here's my question, actually. Um, so, first of all, I will say, here's a victory for you. <laughs> this is the first one of these complicated ones that I watched and felt like, I want to watch that again. Like, what exactly happened? I need to, like, get this. There you go. But that's a victory for for John. But um, my, my thing, though, that occurred to me then is, well, I have the total ability to do that. I have a BritBox subscription. I can do whatever I want. Back in the day, these aired once. How did yeah. people get this? Like very <laughs> dense. It's not uninteresting at all, but it's dense and things move by. And you certainly there were even while I was watching it, I didn't do this that much because I just don't have all the time in the world. But a scene would go by and be like, well, I need to watch that again. What just happened? <laughs> of course, that didn't like you couldn't do that when you're you know, you're yeah. gathered around your hand crank TV in the, in the 1977. <laughs> So how did well, this that, is why it's so interesting. This is, I, I think this is possibly why a lot of people um so yeah, there are many missing episodes of Doctor Who that are missing from the TV archives, but all of them exist on audio uh, because people recorded them off the TV. They put a tape recorder. And I right. used to do this as a kid, too. Right. I would put a tape recorder on. Uh, and so then I would listen to it again. And so, yeah, so maybe I mean, partly for the for the geeky kids, you also the novelization. So you could go back and read you, or you could read this eventually. Oh, that's that true. Then you'd really. But it's still, this, this this took a long time to get. Um so the the computer so uh the the backstory is at some point the doctor in an episode we never saw went to this planet uh in the novelization it's implied he did this right after he regenerated and he was kind of sort of out of it a little bit uh that's and, why he doesn't right. remember and he finds this spaceship that's crashed on the planet and he uh, to fix the computer the computer's broken so to fix it he basically hooks his mind to the computer which he um, did in another episode that right. we watched. Yeah, he does um, that all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but uh, the computer, instead of just taking the bits that it needed, downloads everything in his head, uh, mm-hmm. and then it develops this schizophrenic person. I mean, imagine if you got Tom Baker's all of his whatever's going on in his head <laughs> messed you up. Your insecurity, that seems like a security flaw of Tom's, yeah. of his brain, of right. Tom Baker's brain. They really shouldn't allow them. Walls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Password protected stuff, yeah. You should definitely have two-factor authentication on, like, your entire <laughs> consciousness. I think someone should have to have that. Yeah. So then or at least can... have the little pop-up that comes up and says, like, do you want to let this computer sure access wanna... Yeah, exactly. Computer? Exactly. Um, so the computer then is basically performing a eugenics experiment uh, where it's basically trying okay. to create sort of the perfect uh, – it, it has the – so that the Tesh are the, the, the acolytes in the spaceship. Uh, Tesh is short for technician. Uh, it's you know over time it's shortened to Tesh, okay. uh, and the uh, the Seva team that's Leela's people. Uh, that's uh, sort of the, the uh, continental shift of uh, a survey team, right? The survey team went out to look at the planet, and then the computer oh, separated Seba them. Team. Yeah, and the computer separated them, uh, and then is uh, the idea it sort of says at one point is well we'll take the best of both and create sort of its perfect. I'm not sure why it was trying to do this, but that was what it was going to do. Um, and then yeah, Tom Baker shows up. Says oh I. I really messed this up um and uh, <laughs> my bad computers my bad. Are schizophrenic. That's on me. yeah um and then he hooks his brain up again and i think takes or somehow fixes it basically um this is uh this is um the this is definitely a lot of musings about religion here uh the yes. original uh, working title for this short, uh, story was called the day god went mad um, <laughs> which you could imagine why they wouldn't keep that as the title um this is by chris boucher it's his first uh, doctor who story hmm. uh and uh as you as i really you, went for it in this first one <laughs> yeah <laughs> he wow. then did some other ones that uh, he will watch the robots of death which is actually the next story but uh we'll, we'll see it in a couple weeks but um uh he can do simpler stories but this is this definitely again a high concept story a lot about religion you know neva the priest uh and sort of how he reacts to things is clearly you know, a lot of commentary on, on on religion and how the tribe leadership is using religion um i thought they do they do it very well so first of all i watched this in in uh, a crystal clear blu-ray 
uh, which is obviously how 1970s television was really <laughs> meant to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> you was can, any of it even on film? Like, does it show up? Some of it, yeah, they clean some of the film stuff up, uh, um, but also uh, it, it does. You can actually see, you know, supposedly metal panels. You can see the wood grain. Like, <laughs> it's actually sort of it's, worse, right? It's, right. it's not great. Uh, it is, but it's interesting. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, um, uh, other fun trivia: the um, uh, at the end of the third episode, when the computer's going crazy and everyone keeps saying "Who am I?" and all that yes. kind of stuff, the boy, uh, the, the child's voice saying "Who am I?" was a a I think some younger preteen uh, who won a contest to visit the Doctor Who studio, uh-huh. and they just happened to be filming that day, and they said, "Oh, well, here, just film this line: Who am I?" Um, and you know, kind of cool that they are, that actually became the cliffhanger to the episode. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, and this is—I mean, it's great as as we saw in the clip and some other things. This is classic Tom Baker. Um, he so Leela is introduced here. Um, he had just left Sarah Jane. Uh, so oh, two okay. two stories before this, Tom Baker and Sarah Jane had, had separated, and then um, he did one solo story on Gallifrey, uh, and then then came to this story. And Tom Baker was not happy about it. Like, so, uh, um, you know, he wanted not happy about not having a companion or not happy about Sarah Jane having a companion. Yeah. So he really liked Liz Sladen. Of course, we all do. Um, And uh, so, yeah, he's uh, and she was the first companion he worked with. So he's a little disappointed that she was leaving. And then I think he sort of was like, well, do I need to have a companion? And apparently and I don't know how serious this was. He apparently suggested the production team, what if he had a talking cabbage on his shoulder and he could oh, talk to the, to the cabbage? And they were like, no, no. no. Um, he didn't. Uh, Louise Jameson plays Leela. She does a very good job, um, but uh, apparently they did not get along very well, Like, or he was kind of oh, no. cold to her, which is too bad. They have since patched it up years later, but uh, he was kind of cold to her. Um, and uh, uh, But, you know... It, it, at the same time, they're like, and you see it even at the beginning of this story, right? He's talking to the camera, basically, because <laughs> he ain't talking to himself. Like, look, you, you have to have someone to talk to to explain stuff to. It doesn't work without a companion. I mean, he certainly pulls it off because he's so personable, but uh, he he's doing a lot of Groucho Marx stuff yeah. here where he's just mugging the camera. There's just these joke lines. But, you know, he he pulls it off. Um, <laughs> but he could, yeah. He's also very personable with her and just and with, with the other actors, too. So... Yeah, it, I'm sure it's probably better to have uh, the companion there. It was just so funny to me how he just immediately picks up. It's like, nah, how about this next person I see? How about them? <laughs> <laughs> he um, he is so uh, the idea, the producer's idea was uh, they were going to sort of do a My Fair Lady kind of thing. So the idea was that she would be the mm. savage and he would civilize her. Uh, and that's sort of what goes on through the through sort of the rest of her time, or at least a, a little bit of it. Um, although I think they do. I, I think what's really clever here in this story is that the tribe they make the tribe smart right like they they aren't just sort of and she, and savages. she and she's in particular bright. yeah 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 um she does shrug off i believe at the beginning it's her father who is killed and she she really rolls right through <laughs> she's like all right um, um but no uh you know like uh, caleb is the is sort of the the shifty tribesman or whatever and um He's not a good guy, but he's not a bad guy either, right? He's very political right. and, and goes with the sort of political winds of however they are. And um, and Neva, the, the the high priest, is yes, he's a crazy religious guy, but he also has these moments of clarity. Like there's the one time where the doctor's communicating back to him uh, and pretending to be Zoannan because he has the same voice, and and uh, you know he gives him these instructions, pretending, and then Neva says, "I understand." doctor like oh he knew all like so he's not they aren't played as idiots and made to be idiots Um, that guy i thought gave a great performance he's uh, if i'm thinking i again i don't remember the names though but he's the the bald guy yeah Mm -hmm. yeah he gave a great performance because he's hitting some really really spastic high you know crazy moments where he's sort of a fanatic and screaming around and then you really see him undergo the when the reality is starting to hit him about First, where he doesn't really know exactly what's going on yet, but he, it's clear that what he thought was going on is not reality, right. and he's just so shaken. And then later, as he starts to figure it out more and more, like you mentioned, when he actually refers to the evil one as the doctor, he, I don't know, it, it just all reads on him everything that's that's being, that's happening. And it, it there's a pattern here that I'm seeing where... They enjoy showing these civilization, looking at these civilizations from a distance and finding their religions adorable. 
the religions are often a result of an adorable mix-up or a mind control <laughs> experiment, <laughs> like the Pyramid City and Death of the Daleks. Uh, which, by the way, I still say like I'm in the mafia. Death of the Daleks. Death of and the um, uh, even the Aztecs, the way they sort of present their religion is sort of you know there's just kind of a misunderstanding <laughs> um so you know but we i can were, understand that the doctor's not. in a good position to come in from outside of things and sort of see things that question things that they don't because that's just how they've been developed i mean i wonder is that a british perspective right is that just is that what they did too is like when they were colonizing the world they just went right. in and they were like oh you're adorable little religions <laughs> clearly a screw up <laughs> or we're gonna redraw this border or now we just killed god so sorry it's now time for the theme part of the episode it's now time for the themes we are adherents of the repeating themes here on nntmp and this week is no different and our first theme theme number one we enumerate the themes each week too john Mm -hmm. and theme number one is out of control technology what do you what do you have to say about that Uh, well obviously that's uh uh, the linking theme here in these two stories. Uh, and in our modern world. And in our modern world. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. And I wanted to just give a little talk about technology. Do we Ooh. need it? Why do we have it? Shouldn't we Ooh. think about an alternative to technology? No. Um, As we sure record what our podcast <laughs> over the internet on microphones <laughs> using a series of devices. I mean, you know, back in the day, we would have had to, I, I guess, have some sort of smoke signals for our podcast, right? I mean, we would have mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to tribes in our area. Um, pelts no, um, pelts would have been involved, I think. <laughs> some kind of trading pelts. Um, no, I mean, I think this is, you know, again, this is another interesting, we mentioned, I think, just a little bit last week, too, but this is another interesting sort of a, a very common uh, uh, storyline in Doctor Who is sort of, the, especially the computer that's gone out of control. Um, right. And, uh, and and you know, so this idea that, uh, you know, something has happened and the technology has, has gotten ahead of us, which is obviously a very common sci-fi theme. Um, and, you know, same kind of thing with um, I, uh, with the uh, Empty Child Out the Dance is, you know, the idea of their... There's no evil there, right? It's not there in both stories. There's no bad guy. It's just the the technology is doing what it's what it thinks it's supposed to be doing. Um, the the nanogenes in the in the first one are are they're just functioning the way they're supposed to function, right? They they right. found the child. They said that's that must be the pattern, uh, and so then they tried to make everything else like that, and then at the end they learned to do it right. Um, and I guess it's never quite. That's one sort of interesting thing that's uh, left out of the story is i guess he just kind of leaves the genes out there <laughs> like, yeah they they're fine now <laughs> yeah everything's fine would you think now that means everybody's gonna live forever <laughs> they gonna run around and just keep repairing people um or they all start to look like there would be a great sequel if they come back and there's just everyone looks like nancy uh <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you know it's, it's another interesting idea of like well let's let's what you know what what kind of problems or what, what are sort of general categories of problems or uh, things you can encounter in, in sci-fi and and sort of that idea of technology that's out of control um which is really interesting because I, I i work in tech you you work in tech and i always think it's very interesting to talk to tech people about technological determinism and stuff and sort of this idea that especially engineers disturbingly always say well you know it's just that's just what's going to happen with technology you just you, you can't control it and i always want to be like no you you can you control you, you design it <laughs> i also like the idea can. that i mean this this was in 77 but and probably even before this but i think about you know 2001 so for about two or three decades we just got constant science fiction books and movies and tv saying hey, these computers that we're building are going to go out of control and kill people and take over the world. And at the time, it's particularly interesting because the computers that were there were like, you know, you'd ask the computer what's four plus four and it would whir and spit (laughs) for a while until it got the right answer. But at the time, they were saying just warning us for 30 years, like this is going to happen. And basically at the end of this 30 years, when we finally got to the point that the computers could actually start make real decisions, us as a society just sort of said, yeah, we're going to build them anyway, though. <laughs> we're just going to keep going. Uh, we get it, but I think it's okay. It's it's either not going to be okay or it is okay, but we really want these computers. <laughs> we always, we always, I mean, I, I sit and look at like a technology like deep fakes 
and you, you know, oh the, the God, video yeah. and you're just like why why what and, and I, the people in bed i think said oh because we wanted to be able to put better you could put your own face in like a role-playing game or something like that and we're like well mm-hmm. that seems worth the risk that we could you know have barack yeah. obama appear to be on and we TV, lose like, all <laughs> trust in <laughs> media as an institution <laughs> right and don't uh, don't have the ability to believe literally anything we see anymore Right, it's worth it game, because yeah <laughs> my twitch <laughs> followers are really gonna enjoy <laughs> seeing me see my pudgy white face <laughs> getting shot in a game yeah so um uh yeah obviously a running sci-fi theme but um definitely doctor who has over and over again the, the computer that's uh, you know become sentient the computer that's that's taken over um and it, you're right. It is interesting at the time. Uh, I always fascinated by the, the people that could see so far ahead to say, yeah, yeah, this is this is a risk. This is what's going to happen. Um, well, they just philosophically, in an interesting way, they were very optimistic about the development of the technology. They just philosophically extended, well, if the technology can do X, let's just take it to the nth degree, which isn't necessarily so. I mean, it, it's true. It's certainly right. that is what happened. They were able to build on it. And maybe I, I don't. I can't put myself in the place at that time to know was that fairly obvious, like things were going to develop. Was Moore's law obvious? Like, I I don't know. It certainly has continued to to head that way, which is Moore's law is, I think, the 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 processing power develop, right? The processing speed exponentially every every few years. And it's it's it was sort of and by the way, it's stated as a law. It was just more of a observation that the man made saying wow it seems to be going that way and i feel it feels like the industry just took it on as like well we're gonna keep making it happen um, dudley moore i know you would not expect dudley him moore, to come yeah. up with that after arthur he, just well it was actually process. no it was actually during the press tour of arthur two on the rocks that's <laughs> really? when he made the okay. comment yeah he had a little more perspective he was a little wiser and <laughs> a little older <laughs> and people were just like seems like the thing to do um <laughs> yeah and knows culture and <laughs> but it's, it's funny isn't like now uh and i'm trying to think like i i'm trying to think what is the perspective of sci-fi now on computer like it's interesting that right. then they saw so far ahead with computers and now and I, I talk about this in the stuff i do for my real job which is not podcasting i, I was just gonna i'm sorry I'm disappointing anybody but, um, i quit my job John, we didn't talk about this off air right but um you know i always i'm like I quit yeah. my job halfway through the first episode <laughs> right that's why i kind of checked out for a little while i was quitting my job <laughs> <laughs> once you saw rose you were like ah this this is yeah, going I'm places in. i'm in yeah. <laughs> um uh no you know i talk about how uh, I, I i'm somewhat forgiving of in spite of the fact that i have serious problems with like facebook and twitter it's i sort of I'm like yeah but they couldn't have seen how the world is going to change right like zuckerberg was trying to build he was just trying to replace the hard copy pictures of people with their names <laughs> and like how could he have known <laughs> what it would become but then yeah then you look at this stuff and you, or what you know what they were looking at in the 70s and, and saw how they how much they predicted it's like oh maybe maybe we shouldn't give ourselves quite as much of a pass like <laughs> i don't know it's a you know it's an interesting perspective and now I, I i'm trying to think i don't know what sci-fi's perspective on computers is now when well do you know uh, do you know the writer uh ben thompson he writes for a blog called stratechery no. at any rate he writes about business and tech and is one he a of prober? the big prober it's <laughs> huge prober <laughs> big big time prober he'll probably write in if probably listen to him right now but he writes about a concept called the pollyannish assumption that tech sort of exists under and youtube is is an example where people who build often people who build software and tech uh, uh or working businesses uh, on the internet make this sort of pollyannish assumption that if you give this great power and uh organize the world's information or add this completely new thing that allows you to do something uh connect people do whatever it is uh, much faster than before there's this assumption that like then the good things that result from that are what will rise to the top rather than saying, well, no, that will happen. Good things will happen like that, but also people will use it to do the worst things and that it's not this, there should be not this assumption that, Oh, the worst things will just kind of get rooted out. It's like, no, no, if there's YouTube, people will (laughs) upload amazing things and also awful things that, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So um, I think that's some of it too, that there's somewhat of a dissociation with, the morality or the bad ways a thing could go that that seems there seems to be an arm's length thing thing there where you say well i'm just going to develop this technology it's not my problem if someone uses it for pure evil it's like well 
maybe it is <laughs> <laughs> or at least you're in the best situation to yeah try to get ahead of that and and build your tech such that you know you yeah j- that you try to get ahead of that it's not an easy problem and i also think it it results from the nature of a lot of places starting off as startups where it's understandable that you don't tackle that well, hey, what if what if our software takes over the world and a billion people use it? It's like, why don't we get like the first ten people to use it? Um, but there's there's never a pause along the way after the money starts being made or after they're desperately trying to like you know hit those targets that they kind of go back and then it's at this point when there are these behemoths they say, well, now we actually need you to do this for the good of society. Right. Yeah. We'll get the, um, look at the guys. Government do it, you know, and right. then. Look at the guy who, uh, who's who's the Twitter guy Dorsey? Is that is that the Twitter? Dorsey, uh, yeah, Jack, uh, but you know, yeah, exactly. um, create Twitter, destroy the world, then go back and be like, uh, hey, we should really do something about Twitter. <laughs> like, well, you, you already have the money <laughs> that you got from doing it. That does bother me about people in tech. Uh, is that you know sometimes they sort of they say, oh, this is we're doing this is terrible. We'll have to go back and fix this later. And it's like, mm, okay. I mean, I it reminds me of like you'll see senators and uh, Congress people make quotes about like. Well, the the discourse in this country is is the political discourse is terrible. Like you're the political discourse. <laughs> like they'll usually say it after saying some awful thing. Uh, someone on like the right wing will say some terrible thing or do some terrible norm breaking thing and say like, "Well, everything's really going to hell." It's like, yes, you're <laughs> you just sending did it. it to hell. <laughs> yeah, right, we should yeah. move on to the next theme though. Um, we should, we should, but we can't. How can we control where this podcast goes? We can't. There's that- <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to happen. <laughs> All right, the next theme, theme number two. John, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about. Happy endings, which the doctor particularly calls attention to in the doctor dances. He, he everybody gets to live. It's fun. Oh, I was, I was, I was just going to complain about massage parlors, but okay, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> or the canceled show Happy Endings. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, by the way, uh, there, uh, the the fourth doctor episode that we watched does have a happy ending, except as you mentioned, you know, lots of people die. <laughs> Leo's father dies. <laughs> Uh, she's ripped away from her home, but yeah, you know the eugenics yeah. sort of stops. Yeah, that's uh, good, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean it is. It is interesting. Uh, uh, I think on on whole, Doctor Who leans towards happy endings. I mean, you don't get uh, obviously. As we recall from Vengeance on Varos, uh, <laughs> it can be a little, it can be a little bit darker, um, but that's you know I think that's a bit of a reflection of the eighties, mid eighties, which everything was pretty depressing, um, except except rock music, uh, and um, yeah, so it's definitely. Um, uh, what we've talked about before is Doctor Who involves a lot of death, like people die uh, quite a bit. Right. Um, but they're so, frank about that. They're, they yeah. don't hide from that. Right. Um, but uh, and that's that's not what's celebrated and stuff like that. Um, but they definitely um, uh, I mean, I do think they do at the end of four weeks generally want there to be happy endings um, or, or, you know, positive ending. Um, you do see, you know, again, like we talked about the Aztecs that their, their last episode, uh, which had a, a negative ending in many ways. Right. I mean, it's right. pretty much ends badly for them, but yeah, generally, you know, the good guys win, the bad guys lose. Um, and that, uh, that is sort of, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't sort of, it's uh, um, the kind of, uh, the the anti-hero sci-fi you know the, the sort of darker sci-fi like it is, it is going to be generally upbeat and stuff like that and i think it's also important in this uh season this first season of the new series um because you know the running theme is also the doctor is still reeling from the time war right um and so you know i think they they really wanted to that's one of the big things i think that they're calling attention to with the end of the doctor dances is he's finally winning again you know he hadn't really and, you right. know, he says, give me this just this just this once or you know I, I give me a day like this um and how excited he is um and it was interesting i i, I uh i think when i was watching it i remember thinking um that because i don't think i don't yeah at the time i don't think we knew that the captain jack character was going to recur and so yeah it's like oh well they had this happy ending but then it's going to have this one dark bit where he's going to blow up in his right ship, and then, then they rescue him and i was like okay yeah i guess that makes sense yeah that's probably fair uh <laughs> but i was a little worried that like because i think that's what probably 
a more modern, mature, quote unquote, sci-fi show would do, right? They'd be like, oh yeah, we've got the happy ending, but uh, our show's going to be grittier and darker if, if he blows up in the spaceship. That's like the cost and everybody gets to act their lament. Even before we got to that point, I thought the ending would certainly might be that she, you know, reveals that she's the child's mom, but that he ultimately dies still. I mean, mm-hmm. I and I thought that was very possibly the ending, you know? Um, so... There's lots of potential for for sadness. I mean, generally, you don't kill children in children's television. It's it's sort of one of those lines. (laughs) You don't kill kids. Um, Well, this is kind of a rule. I mean, uh, I always thought, um, I I know you are also uh, an appreciator of the movie Jaws. uh, And I always thought that was one of the the great things that he does in that movie is uh, uh, that I think it's a scene on the beach where the, both a dog and a kid die in the scene. <laughs> yeah, oh and it's like a, it's like a, oh, Ooh. usually that doesn't happen. You can usually always count on the kid will be fine, or the dog will always be fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the children may die, but the dog will be fine. Um, so uh, you know, yeah, there, there is sort of again, I, I, I think you know, sort of modern sci-fi and other stuff they would want to go for that edgy ending and be like oh yes well it's, it's still got the dark ending where the kid dies something like that there are times um in the new series where um russell c davies does sort of go for the happy ending maybe more than they should like it's like ah this is a bit of a stretch um now there is uh maybe at some point we'll watch some of the torchwood spinoffs because uh, there's one in particular that's a very dark ending <laughs> um, and uh uh you know i remember reading an interview with him uh, and they were asking about you know that ending, and he said, "Oh, well, actually, I had written it so that the the thing that happens doesn't happen. <laughs> the good thing it was a good ending that the character survives." Uh, and then uh, he was told by you know his co-producers, "Like, come on, you wimp! Like, <laughs> do it." <laughs> now, <laughs> it John, just makes when, more sense thematically. When you watch some of these uh, Russell T. Davies episodes where it's too too happy an ending, do you? Head to YouTube right away and watch clips of dogs being killed. Is that generally what you're doing? <laughs> Level out. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, one of the things for me about Doctor Who is it is my happy place. It is a thing I watched as a kid. Uh, so I, it's relaxing and stuff. And it's like, I don't want it to get too dark, right? It is, it is a fairy tale. Um, and, and I don't, and I think this, so this is one of the, this is sort of the constant struggle especially a show that's been on for so long is of course you have people who watched as kids growing up and now watching it. and you saw this with star wars too right which is people watching something 20 years later want it to be more adult right and right well this you know i'm an adult so the show and, and and part of the the you know what doctor who has to do the producers do and then and they try to recognize tend to recognize this. they say look it's not for you it's for kids uh and uh and so we're not going to you know a, what does it mean to be more adult? Like, what does that mean? It has to have sex and violence and, you know, depressing endings that makes it really cool. Like, <laughs> it's all depressing <laughs> and stuff. Um, and it probably wouldn't last, right? It is, it is a family show. And so you got to have happy endings, I think, for a family show. I think mean, it's just. Well, I can tell you, uh, having become an adult about, Mo, you know, 20, 25 years ago, um, yeah, my life is fill, filled with sex and violence. <laughs> <laughs> John, there are over 295 Doctor Who stories. Confirmed that we know of. There's still people out in the wilds like looking for more stories. <laughs> it's the lad has them. to say at some point. Yeah. Uh, we at this point have ranked 14 of them. So let's add these two stories to the mix. And I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and start if you, if you don't mind. Please if do. you would be please, so kind. Please do. So I, I, really, I really enjoyed both of these. I uh, put the... Empty Child, Dr. Dances, uh, way up near the top. Uh, I still really like The Unquiet Dead, and I Father's Day is my favorite of the new episodes, so I have it below there. Uh, but I have it above everything else, basically, of the new episodes, which is, I still have those right now. They're clustered at the top for me. And then uh, this was one of the older episodes that I'm I'm putting up near the top of the mix. So I have the, and it's funny because I struggled to actually explain what was happening in this episode. <laughs> but uh, but like I said, the good part was I got to the end and thought like I kind of want to watch that again. What what happened? And of course, Leela doesn't have clothes on, so mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun for everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. So I put the face of evil um, between some of the new episodes. I have it at number six right now. So between the aliens in London, World War Three, and 
the end of the world. So yeah, I'm 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 growing and learning here a little bit. The, some <laughs> of the old episodes are are making their way to the top, and I would compare it to. To me, this was comparable to watching something like The Curse of Fenric, which for me, I was like, okay, I'm not quite getting what's going on. But at least at the moment, when I was watching that at that moment, I was like, I don't really want to know more. Like, this is confusing. I don't, I don't. Whereas this one, I was like, okay, what I'm missing uh, seemed like an interesting plot that I want to go go back to. Mm -hmm. So. So I liked it. And again, I just like to give it to Curse of Fenric at any opportunity yeah, I have. Just really, just really twist that it. knife. <laughs> <laughs> so where where did you have these? Uh, so I, I am. There is a new number one on the block. I am putting The Empty Ooh. Child, The Doctor Dances at number one on my list. Um, it's just a really strong episode. It 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 is uh, for me, it establishes the new series that they could really turn out a classic Doctor Who. Um, and, and, and not, I don't mean classic as in aping the old series a little as we've talked about. There is some, there are a lot of similarities, but I just mean right, it does, a classic yeah. episode, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, it, this is, um, this is also one that the public really liked because again, the image of the gas mask child is really, you know, it, it grabs you and people, it, it was scary and people thought, it, you know, so, so this is like, one of the things of, uh, of, of Doctor Who throughout the ages, throughout the ages, the ancient civilization <laughs> is that, um, but that you know, even casual viewers n- remember like some of the big monsters or some of the big moments. Like they're just such a part of British culture. And the, the gas mask kid saying, are you my mummy is kind of one of that new is, is a new is a part of that uh, sort of culture. And, and the first time in the new series, I think that really happened. Um, it's also just a great episode, great writing, um, and, and a really tight plot. Um, the Face of Evil, I, I put a little bit lower. I put that down at number eleven right now, under behind Aliens of London, World War Three. Um, it's a strong episode. I like it, um, but I, I think the telling thing is that um, I, I always forget the plot. Like I've seen it many times. I've I've right. you know, over the many years, and I, every time I watch it. It's about halfway through. I'm like, wait, what happens next? Is, oh, what's going on again? Or, or like, there's, there's something a bit forgettable about it. There is a lot of running around in hallways, uh, sure, to, sure, to some purpose or whatever. And um, um, so it's it's an interesting idea. I don't think it quite works. Uh, and I'm so uh, fascinated at why you guys love arc in space so much now you know this is another tom baker episode it's like it's good what what is it about that i i bubble wrap I, man the bubble bubble wrap. Wrap. <laughs> people people love bubble wrap and giant fiberglass ants walking around uh, <laughs> just, just sure. walking around <laughs> walking around it'd be great actually if they never acknowledged the fiberglass. They just were walking around in the background. <laughs> like, hey, George. Man. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's what that I'm That is fascinating. No, well, yeah, our lists <laughs> continue to differ. Eventually, mm. what I'm hoping is that they will somehow converge and become the same list at the end. That's the hope, is that <laughs> somehow... That's just gonna click into space. Now I can see how that um that episode, the the empty child episode, was has become iconic. And it, it, to me, it is the most iconic of the new series. Definitely, honestly, the only reason I don't have it at the top probably is well, a I just I really like Father's Day, but mm. um it seems so small. But the like I said, the the green screen of the thing over London felt like just they over reached a little bit and so i was really taken uh, taken out of that moment whereas the other episodes that i liked a little more um didn't have that then quite dead in father's day and i thought that honestly even though it was great that it was two episodes and made it feel like an old longer plot probably if this had been like a little bit shorter maybe not one episode but like an hour instead of an hour and a half i think it would have been even even that much better but it, it's a great episode so mm-hmm. john if people want to give us feedback uh <laughs> i felt like i was about to ask you but i'm just going to tell you they can go to mindprobe.show mm. and they can see notes from old episodes you've been doing a lot of work that website is taking off now uh, i've been saying yeah. for eight weeks that <laughs> you can see notes on old episodes it has not been true <laughs> no. but you have made it made the it lie so. is over the lie um, is the, over our complete ranking which that has been live for two weeks but now it's 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 updated uh and then we also added a really good idea you had which is we have an order john our connoisseur uh, our sommelier here is pairing the episodes together as we watch them we thought well other people might want to watch in this order or watch ahead of time if to 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 so that when they tune into the episode they've already watched the episode so that's live 
And you can also send me a note if you like at Porter Mason on Twitter. Please use the hashtag I probe, you probe, we all probe for mine probe, and that'll get right to me. That'll go right to me when you do that. <laughs> but also that's put... your secretary, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no filter. <laughs> but also put out Porter Mason on there because that'll uh, that'll help me find it because mm. that's my username on Twitter. Has anyone ever tweeted us? Has no, no, no. Never. Okay, good. That's cool. Yeah. Or you know what? But they may have been using again the incorrect <laughs> hashtag, and then I'm just not going to see it. I have a bunch of filters set up. What do we have in store for the next episode? Uh, the next episode, we will again. We we will continue to go in order on the new series. So uh, we will be Ooh. going to uh, Boomtown, uh, and then we have paired that. That was this is uh, Boomtown was a tough one to come up with a pairing, um, and we did the best that we could uh, with the Edge of Destruction. Uh, again, going back to the first season, and we're uh, hurtling toward the end of this first season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could pretty much wrap it. This would be a natural stopping point <laughs> if we wanted it to be sort of <laughs> for like for the whole, well, yeah, for our friendship, like, <laughs> our podcast, everything. It's just like you know, we got through Eccleston. Do we need to start another one? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like as I, I think I've told you in the past when I was a kid, and they would show The Wizard of Oz on TV. And my parents did not want me to stay up late. So for many years, I thought the movie ended when they got to Oz. And they were like, my parents would say, wow. oh, they got there. It's They got there. They made it to Oz. It's time for bed. And so I was like, but <laughs> did she go home? What about the witch? I don't understand. There was a lot of plot elements left hanging. It it's was like, years no. before I realized it was an ending to the movie that involved you her going home. You thought Wizard of Oz was basically an adaptation of a Steinbeck novel about Kansas. Just <laughs> right. that was the family farm. That's just how it, it was tough back then for them. She gets to a palace at the end, and I, I guess she moved in. And it's vague. It was a very vague ending as to what happens after that. John, we got to the end of this podcast and everybody lived just this once. Everybody lived. It's great. Really nice feeling. And also, we need to stop murdering people so much, especially mid-podcast. Just really senseless. Keep murdering. Fine. But have the discipline to stop when we're recording. That's In the podcast, professionalism. Right. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, but I do love a good murder, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> Now that we're talking about it, I am I'm in, I'm up for one. Okay. Well the podcast is almost <laughs> over. We could go murder now. <laughs> all right. All right. Off to the murder. <laughs> Maybe we should imply heavily once that we actually record these podcasts. We record them like five times and then take the best bits of conversation if right. we really were dedicated, that's what we would do. Yeah. We are not. We are not. <laughs> <laughs> we are not. <laughs> 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 <laughs>